Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey and Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, The Honey and Co. My name is Itamar Sulovic. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food. And we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice. And we sit down and have a longer chat. We cook from their books or from their culture. And this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. Tonight, we're joined by Nikki Signet. You know her from the Flavor Thesaurus. She just had a new book came out, Lateral Cooking. It'll change the way you cook. We learned about what it takes to write a book so meticulous and so pernickety. We learned about the magical no-churn lemon ice cream, which is going to blow your mind. It's so simple, and I'm going to try it now. I'm sure it's so delicious. I hope you listen. I hope you try the lemon ice cream. I hope you get the book. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, Nikki Signet. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure, truly such a pleasure and an honor. Um, you've kind of, you've wrote the definitive cookbook and now kind of the other definitive cookbook. <laughs> but you're not, you're not from the cookery background. You're not from the cookery world. You kind of uh, I'm not from the cookery world. And I'm not from the writing world either. No, I just, <coughs> I just dropped in as an imposter. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I used to... Well, before I before I wrote the Flavor Thesaurus, in fact, even to a certain degree, when I was writing the Flavor Thesaurus, I worked in advertising as a brand consultant, uh, and um, I was kind of doing mainly food and drink brands uh, because I was trying to make my uh, I was trying to make my job a bit more like what I wanted to do with my life. So I um, I think yeah, after uh, about five years before I stopped altogether, I said I only really want to work on food and drink. And I was working in a big agency, so I was working on um, things like Coke and uh, Hellman's mayonnaise and Smirnoff and ba- big kind of mainly international brands. Um, and so, if you're doing something that's uh, that scale, then you and you're a brand consultant, you, you're working from the very beginning of uh, food ideas. So you'll be putting together. Um, you know, you're working on the technical side. Uh, I'm going to, I was telling you earlier, I was, uh, so I think as, as just as I was coming to have this, this book idea, one of the last things I remember doing is going to a four-hour debrief on sensory testing of fridge. Uh, you're no fridge if you have a teenage boy. Uh, they are these really hideously packaged um, milkshakes that are like they're sort of in a cow milkshake thing. And you, yeah, it's they're a huge favourite of mine. <laughs> I would not hear of a bad word <laughs> about it. No, uh, <laughs> uh, well, and they're you know they're extremely extremely popular. But the, we were testing them 
um, against all the different other flavoured milkshakes, so against all the different um, own label. So we'd be looking at what all the different banana milkshakes taste like, so which ones are more like bubblegum, which ones taste more like vanilla, which ones taste more like um, clove and spice and all that kind of thing. And this, you know, this is four hours, and you, then you'll get, move on to do strawberry. And I, I could have done it in one I, minute. Like, <laughs> just, do, just do the chocolate one. That's the only one that's good. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. That wouldn't work, because it would have to have a number of, say, 3.88 standard deviation. It would have to have a very kind of boring side to it but it's I mean it's very specific and very good kind of training to articulate your what you're tasting. yes because I uh, at the same time I'd done the wine course at the wine and spirits education trust which if you ever want to do a wine course is just fantastic because uh, you're there with people who take it very seriously and uh, a lot of a lot of people there you know are doing their training to go and work in wine merchants and so yeah it's very much an industry yeah and you're encouraged school. to join in you're very much encouraged to um, say what you're tasting and what you're you know what you're smelling and uh, and so it gets you used to the idea of actually putting flavor into words which is quite difficult it is it, it's 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 very much a, a skill or, you, what you or a, said muscle. Earlier, a muscle <laughs> yeah. yeah I think so I think you know the more you do it the more the better you get at it and the good thing about doing a wine course is you're working with you, you know you're being trained by people who are quite good at helping you fer ferret out what you can taste I mean it's quite it's also extremely suggestible so that can you know it's good to taste something and have your own idea of what of what you what you get before everyone else chimes in with what they get but it's it's um yeah i think it's a really really good thing if you if you want to ever write about food to to go through that discipline and you can get really drunk plastered hopefully you took notes <laughs> no. before so you will have but always uh with with wine tasting that the notes get blurrier and blurrier yeah i love it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yum, so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all in the name of uh, professional advancement. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And from there to the flavor thesaurus? So there from the flavor so the um so yeah, so the interest in flavor is quite high. I was also very interested, I'd say I was very interested in cooking. Uh I was interested in what Heston Blumenthal was doing, all that stuff about, you know, passion fruit and oyster and all those incredible things that he was doing. So uh I went to buy a book about flavor, you know, what what goes with what. Uh, and I went and had a really good look around for something like that, and I couldn't find anything. And so I even looked, I looked in the States to see if there was anything on Amazon.com, and just there wasn't anything to buy. So this is about 2007, uh, and I, I, on the way home from the bookshop, I think I had thought, well, if I don't find something, then maybe I'll write it myself. Um, and I obviously put that idea to one side because I'm not a writer. And... Uh, um, and I, I think I talked to my husband about it and he was quite encouraging. He was sort of saying, you could, oh, you can make it a bit like this, you can make it a bit like that. Uh, and then I forgot about it. And then it must have been a few weeks later, I was sitting at my desk and the, the title, The Flavor Thesaurus, just came into my head. And in a way, that was it, because then I had a form. I had the, you know, the back index in the same way Roger's Thesaurus is laid out at the back. And then the front would be an elaboration of that. And... Uh, And that's you know, so you got a you got a title, you got a form, you just got to fill it in. And then you, you, <laughs> and then you, you go to a publisher, I don't know, and you you pitch that, okay, <clears throat> and they say, well, there isn't anything like it. We'll take it, get to work on it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not a trifle. I mean, it, it's it's a project that can go on, you know, lifetimes. Yeah. Well, the first bit didn't work like that. I took it. I got an agent very easily who because I'd I'd written a proposal. Uh, and I'm quite good at doing that kind of thing because of my advertising training, quite good at condensing ideas into a small space and pitching. And then um, a, a sample, a couple of chapters, which I you can actually tell which ones they are in the Flavor of the Source because they are different. To the, they're ever so slightly different to the uh, the non-pitch ones. Yeah, and uh, there's a chance. If you, really, if you really love this book, you'll be able to tell me which ones they are. And then... Um, Yeah, so you've got it. Yeah, <laughs> how much do you love the flavor? Yeah. Uh, and then, um, so an agent very quickly, and then lots and lots and lots of rejections. So I think it was out for six months with, with no dice. Uh, and then eventually the person that my agent always thought would buy it um, finished working on Hugh Fernie Whittingstall's fish book, which is like this big. And yeah, it also been really had his head done. And so then he bought this and then I 
probably you know, I, I was just I'd just gone back to um, brand consultancy and freelancing so then when it was sold I started it and it took three years to I mean I had a very different idea of I was just going to research just going to read lots and lots of food books uh, and take whatever they'd said about flavor combinations and why they work together and stick them all together in this book it'd be easy so copy and paste job, yeah like copy an, and an paste afternoon. job yeah. yeah exactly maybe a bit of cheeky rewriting here and there and then it just turned out there was I mean I think I think in the whole three years that I spent researching the book I probably found half a dozen examples of people talking about fla- flavour combinations and why they might work together so uh, so it became a job of going through a lot of I mean there aren't actually a lot but the half a dozen eight books that exist for people who work in the flavour industry going through those to try and harvest as much information I had to teach myself chemistry a bit because I don't have any um, I don't have any scientific background so I had to do my best I did um, manage to get somebody a, a flavour scientist a creative a fla- what are they called uh, a, a creative flavourist to help me a little bit and look creative over some flavorist. of my a creative flavourist oh my god look at my shoot, that's this in America so my next job <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, well, I don't know. I don't know if you'd find it quite as rewarding as this. Yeah, well, um, I don't know. It's, it sounds it's like bit, quite a niche market as well. Uh, well, it's, well, it's a very, very riche business. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of money, but it's not... Yeah, I don't think, you, I don't think you'd like it as much as this. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, yes, it was a lot more work, and it took me to a lot more you know, interesting places like agricultural texts and things like that in order to find enough interesting material to... C- collect into the book and a but lot of I cooking mean, what it's not it's not a copy and paste job um, <laughs> and i think one of one of the 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 very beautiful things about it is that is that it's it's uh it's very personal there's a lot of personal stories about you i mean i think if if you read the the book cover to cover you would get to know you know, even factually, quite a lot about you. Yikes! <laughs> no, I mean, this is. I don't want to do social media. I don't want to. No, but like you, you know, you, you talk about your travels. You talk mm. about memories from your childhood. You talk about, you know, uh, your shopping experience, your eating experience. I was, I was say, telling Nikki earlier that um, I mean, Sarit, we have this icky little habit of reading to each other aloud, and this book was very high on, you know, it was on the bedstand. We would read. A lot about it because it's so there's something so alive so vivid in that and this is how you know my one of my recipes is in this book yes well. i know She's i didn't very, know yeah. i didn't know at the time because it was it, it, I yeah. from a, a otolenghi yeah. book right yeah yeah but it even came in the otolenghi book as yeah Thomas Pilaf, so that's my that, do that's, i need to correct it in the flavor of the story? no is no 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 absolutely no it's 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 it was i was so choking <laughs> up when i read it i was, I was so excited but there, there is, you know, it's not a dry text. It's very vivid. It's very alive. It's very personal. It's very relatable. I wanted it to be, I, you know, if I think about the books that I was reading or the books that led me to write a book like The Flavor of the Saurus, it is, um, uh, I suppose, somebody introduced me to Elizabeth David in my late 20s. And I thought, oh, that, some of this isn't instruction. Some of this is just kind of like reading a novel. And it comes in a penguin cover. It's lovely. It's just that's right up my street. I love it. And then, uh, and then, real fast food. Nigel Slater came out, and there was just this lovely personal um, touch to somebody who was talking to me as somebody who went to work all day and came home late and didn't have time to much time to cook, but loved cooking and might want to cook, you know, quinoa and roast vegetables, but might want to eat a chip butty. It was just a fantastic book that really grabbed me it was you know not it isn't really personable but it's just and it is enough and as far as it it's very personal when it comes to the food and then how to eat which you know the Nigella Lawson book which is just you know again extraordinary and extraordinary very much reading it again now I mean I I just remember reading the (laughs) there's all those chapters and there's a chapter called (laughs) uh, feeding small children I thought I'm never gonna have children still read it (laughs) <laughs> I was just like could not <laughs> couldn't put it it's down so I even read that but yeah like oh yeah I'm quite interested in whipping up butter and marmite in a food processor to make 7,000 sandwiches <laughs> for children <laughs> I mean eventually it was quite useful but um at the time I didn't think that I would ever really need to read that but I couldn't couldn't put it down I couldn't 
could not read every corner of that book and many many times so I, when I when it you know when it came to writing the flavor source it was always going to have some of that in it because that's you know that's kind of what I like to read I like the food but I like the context I like MFK Fisher you know someone who's going to set the table for you a bit and tell you a little about who you're with and uh, what the lighting's like and what the atmosphere is like and uh, you know whether you just had a massive argument which is usually that's normally what's in my my stories yeah painting a, a picture of of the truth of the of the situation and where I, food I fits think, in I think it does that brilliantly but you still you still have you still had quite a lot of technical ground to cover mm. so you would say okay you know today i need to check how smoked salmon works with i don't know coriander seed or mm -hmm. what have you uh and you would just buy the two ingredients and start playing with them or you had kind of more of a structure to it you say you know this is a tried and tested combination i don't know liver and onion mm -hmm. let's see what we can get out of there or a mixture depends you know if it's like oh i've got to try apple and coriander seed well you know there's so you've done so much in the apple chapter that you've you've got to start reaching into different places i do remember making apple and coriander seed ice cream and thinking god this is and tasting it and thinking well it tastes like apricot it's wonderful it's really really fantastic flavor combination but i i know i wouldn't i don't know where it came from i can't remember but the ice cream i had i made up myself and tried it but so sometimes it would be god i'm gonna have to do i'm gonna have to find a recipe and adapt it and make something that's in my head and uh but you know there's a lot of it's a it's not a it's not a book of weird flavor combinations it's mainly classic it's you know it's all there are you know there's interesting corners but it's yeah it's fairly its heart is in the classics really. but did you have some disastrous meals not loads i mean i i really yeah not i mean lots of average meals maybe you know i think that is often the case that's certainly something i found out when i was writing lateral cooking and i started to really explore cooking my own stuff and making up you know or trying out things that were in my head is that more often not you might some something my husband has a name for it was it food units uh so after a while i'd say is it okay is you know do you like it do you like this and he'd say Mm, it's food units, which is just okay. like, it's okay, I'll eat it, but it's not something I really necessarily want to eat There's again. Not, not a lot of pleasure yeah, food, so food units. And um, and so sometimes you make food units and sometimes you make something wonderful. Yeah. But I mean, not disasters, not so many. Um, I do the pear and nutmeg crumble was the, 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 the most disastrous the lowest point yeah it was low it was terrible because because i think also i had presented to said poor said husband <laughs> with a kind of like you have to guess what this is and handed it over to him and he ate it and he said parsnip <laughs> like, okay so that's not so, not so good <laughs> not so good like it should work uh parsnip crumble after no, you. No, 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 oh yeah, no, well, nah, well, see the thing is so the more I looked into it is you know you know the thing is when you cook a pear and you take you kind of remove some of that lovely fruity top note that it has, it becomes rather kind of blunt in its way. Uh, and then freshly grated nutmeg on the top. When, when you cook parsnips, they have a flavour molecule in them that is the same as the main one that you find in nutmeg. And so by cooking the pears you're kind of turning them into parsnips a bit and certainly and in a way that no crumble topping could forgive it was just it just wasn't very nice well yeah. now now everyone knows what to do when they're out of parsnips but <laughs> yeah yeah have and lots of it's like one of those war fridge. recipes yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. except what a strange war if you need to emulate parsnips anyway um i mean it but this is a very interesting insight into kind of the the machination of of, of this book Mm. Uh, and and how it came to life and how it came about and actually probably it saved many a kitchen disaster. Oh, I think. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm for sure because it it's, it was it came out it was a massive success. Um, I I, ju I was just <laughs> Nikki told me downstairs a quarter of a million books sold in this country alone, mm -hmm. fourteen languages, which is you know for a cookbook it's 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 amazing, it's crazy. Um such a you did you see it coming the the huge success of no. it i mean i mean when you have that many rejections definitely not because you think 
that some people must be, you know, they must be onto something. They must know that uh, that this is never going to be like huge. Um, and uh, the, I, for me, the cells are lovely. It's really, really fantastic. It's very rewarding to have spent so much time and love on a book like I did uh, to that, that people like it as much as they do. The translation thing is really exciting. I just, the idea that this book is translated into, um, it's just been translated, it's just come out in Korean, but it's in Japanese, it's in um, Chinese uh, complex, it's it's in Russian, and it did very well in Spain, and you know, in Italy, in places where you would not expect a British food book to do so well. So that is, that that I'm amazed by. I mean, I did I did think that the, British one would sell a bit because I gave up my job to you know I wasn't I wasn't working I was living on my savings so you've got to you know I don't have a trust fund or anything I so I had some belief that it would do enough to to make taking three years off to do it worthwhile yeah. and then I would go back to having a proper job is this what you thought yeah definitely oh so it was like the the little sabbatical project yeah yeah I think so yeah I mean I uh, yeah, I don't know if you know much about what people normally get paid to write books, as you do. It's not, work, you know, it's not an easy living. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, I didn't just particularly dislike what I was doing before, so I could have gone back to that. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't. And then, I mean, <laughs> but, it, but it was, you know, it, it reached so far, you know, also, I, di- I didn't know, you know, in, in Japan and Korea, amazing. Uh, but also, so deep. It's a book that a lot, you know, like us, have a very deep connection to. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people in this room, you know, people really, really use the book, need the book. How d- do you get, like, people's reactions? Or would people come to you and say, hey... <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Okay, not so really. I'm the first one. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're not the first, but but not 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 a lot. I mean, there is, uh, um, there was one letter that really was amazing, and that was uh, a guy who lived out in the um, out in the Scottish Isles in the remote Scottish Isles, and he wrote to me and he said that he was in his eighties, he was teaching himself to cook, and. Uh, because his wife had just died and she had done all the cooking all their life and now he had to do it but he had to teach himself to cook with whatever came in on the boat that week so the boat came twice a week and you got these you know whatever ingredients were there to buy and so that's you had he had to learn to cook starting with ingredients and so he bought the flavor source and he was finding it really useful it's just that was I mean that's a fantastic lovely wonderful story and yeah, that's kind of it doesn't get much. Yeah, better than that. I don't know. I think somewhere my publishers have got big pile of posts for me that they just don't. They just because <laughs> they don't want they don't want you to get ahead of yourself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like Imagine that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure they were delighted and, you know, you got probably this this project. I mean, how... how this is the, the next book, Lateral Cooking. We will explain in a minute or should we... How long ago? <laughs> it is. It's um. It's it's a mind-boggling project in its magnitude. I don't know how you, you you had the temerity, but this lateral cooking is something that every cook understands, but very very hard to explain. I think you can understand the connection between, say, you know, a cake and a biscuit. You can see that it's kind of on the same this or you know that if you make polenta then you can probably you know make other things from you know you can make shoe pastry if you cook a lot you understand these things mm. instinctively but or you know actually if you cook for a living you understand these yeah. things instinctively but to s- sort of go back and and reverse engineer that knowledge into something that's on paper, I don't know how how would you, how 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 did you come up with this idea? Um, in yeah, in a very in a slightly simple way, which was well, so when I was writing the Flavor Thesaurus, I'm very honest in my introduction to the Flavor Thesaurus. I was a recipe robot, so I was not somebody who was uh, throwing things together and trying things out and seeing how you know. I was not uh, a you know a flick of the hips kind of cook. I was very stiff, Stepford, and. Um, uh, when I was testing, if I, you know, there were a couple of ingredients like the apple and coriander seed that I needed to try together. Then I'd have to find something that I wanted to try them in, or I thought would be interesting, you know, interesting base for those flavors. So I was having to, for the first time in my life, be, you know, adapt recipes and learn to cook things, uh, you know, of my own, own imagination. And so I thought, well, what I, this is really time-consuming, doing it this way, like having to sort of go through loads of recipe books. What I need is a book of basic outlines that I can just apply my ingredients to uh, and then just go off and, uh, and do that. Uh, and so off I went, trot, 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 to the bookshop again to see, if, <laughs> see what I can find, if there's something that, d- that does that job. And I couldn't find that book. So, I, you know, I mean, I kind of looked for it a lot over the years, but... While I was writing the Flavor Thesaurus, I was just started keeping a, a a list of note, a sort of a file of notes, like, oh, well, here's a basic idea, and then you know, here's what you can do. Does it matter if you don't have all those eggs? And what if I want to cut down the sugar? And what if this is? And can I use can I use bread flour or ordinary flour? Because I've actually run out. You know, that that is the, the realities of my larder, which are very real, and plus then the flavor side of things. Like, well, what happens if I add fruit to this? Uh, can I just what about spices what if I you know what if I add so so I was starting to keep these um, notes and then the more the more I added to them I was going back to them I was thinking god this I'm finding this really useful this is the kind of thing that I need I had I mean I had cooked for I would say 20 years nearly every day really quite into it from loads of different countries I'd never joined things up I don't know if it's because you know after a busy day at work the blinkers are on. I just kind of get on with it, but uh, and I hadn't. I'd only done one very small cookery course. I'd never learnt in a way that did join things up. Uh, so everything was all over the place. And I was very, you know, I'd do a bit of Indian and then a bit of Mexican and a bit of this, and never, yeah. So everything was all over the place. And uh, so, the, you know, the file was really useful to me. And then I thought, well, maybe it would be kind of useful for other people. And there's this, you know, the, the point of it was flavoring things. I'll write this book about how to flavor lots of different basic things like ice cream or a creme brulee or uh, polenta or whatever. Uh, and so that's that's where it started. Um, but of course, there were these also the practical notes as well about whether you need this, that and the other. And lateral cooking grew out of that that file and then of course I had to go and fill in the gaps which were many so that uh, so it was three years before I actually took it to the publisher and said this is the thing that I've been working on I don't know what I was doing not showing but I just showed it to him and uh, <coughs> it's Richard Atkinson who is my editor on, on the flavor of the source and uh, and I just you know I carried on after I sold it and then I 
was in the bath one day thinking, how am I, you know, the flavour of Saurus is arranged um, with this rather nice flavour wheel. So it's a flavour wheel. I don't know if you don't know it. It's, so it's this flavour wheel and all the ingredients are, are divided into flavour themes. So it might be bramble and hedge or something simple like marine or fresh fruity or creamy fruity. So all different types of fruit. And then uh, around it, the 99 ingredients arranged in a spectrum of flavours where the flavours all run into each other. Like, I mean, it's usually that there's a crossover of flavour molecules so things uh, have a kind of some kind of familiar um, taste. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's an interesting way of seeing things. It's a thought-provoking way of th- seeing things. And I was thinking, well, how am I going to do this for lateral cooking? Which at the time wasn't called lateral cooking. Uh, and I thought, oh, well... You know, I can't, I can't join everything up, but um, there are obvious themes. So I'm going to collect everything in its theme. And then the, because I've cooked these things a lot, then I start to realise, well, of course, um, you can plot them on a continuum. So if I take bread and I take a flatbread that's just water and flour and salt, just a very basic one, and then I add a bit of chemical leavener to it and then maybe put a bit of buttermilk in it, then I can make a soda bread or scones or cobbler or kind of interchangeable and then use yeast instead to make a da 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 So everything, sorry about the da 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 I don't know what this is like. Maybe I should have called the book da 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 So everything, everything, everything works on these continuums. And some of them are smoother than others, and some of the jumps are bigger than others, but it's just a way of connecting up the recipes that, if you like, I call them the starting point recipes, because there's like 77, and they, you know, they are very adaptable in lots of ways whether that's for practical reasons or for you know for aesthetic reasons of flavor or um, little tweaks that you might make um but it just it, for me it makes you know and I, and I was really going through that book hoping to find <laughs> sorry to say that but saying what did she miss mm, not a lot yeah, really. I, I i have it because this is pretty much well, you know, I haven't finished, but it's a. I can't say all of cooking, but mm. it's most of cooking. Yeah, you know, most of what you do in the kitchen, <laughs> kind of. That is, is cooking. They're not just yeah. composition. So there's yeah. no salads or quinoa roast vegetables. Yeah, but or arrangements, wherever but kind yeah. of heat is involved, the, the, then this is, it's there. Yeah. And and at it's, and it does. You know, you you think that you kind of need to go through that book, but actually anywhere that you you open it you can just kind of dive in and you can go backwards and forwards and you can see all the variations and it it was very clear to me you know in in the nuts chapter mm. which you know and and that's a connection that actually <coughs> w- I never articulated <laughs> in my head between you know it starts with with marzipan and then you add a little bit of egg and that's the filling for the santiago tart and then you I don't know, you you cook some uh, meat in it and then, then that's the fasenjon. This is what we made for you today. Or you made the tartar sauce with slight variation and then you change the nuts and then it's something completely different. And then, you know, you change the ratio and it's something completely different again. But it's it's still pretty much the same process, the I same idea. I love the idea. nuts chapter. The yeah. nuts chapter is, to me is one of the smoothest continuums because you have, obviously you have marzipan, which is equal weights of ground nuts and sugar brought together with the minimum amount of egg white to kind of make a paste and then a bit more white and you make a macaroon and then include the egg yolks as well and you make the torta santiago if you add the same weight of butter then it's frangipan and then if you switch and make this is quite a big jump but it's a nice one and it's still it can go into your head if you use uh if you start swipping out some of the sugar for other savory ingredients like some um some uh, grilled tomatoes and peppers and stuff then you can talk about make the start point of making a romesco or a tarato or whatever and then if you cook meat in those kind of sauces then you have you're into fresnes and cormas and um maif and all the all the you know food from all over the world that's kind of cooked in similar ways not always the same i'm not trying to say like all oh, this is always the same but once you've read that i think you've once you read the essay at the beginning of the chapter about how these things connect up 
I think you could pro- you're probably equipped to cook all those things without a recipe ever again. You just it's so simple. Yeah. And then of course then you know, the the point of the book really was that you'd go and open up your cupboard and say okay I've got this amount of hazelnuts that need using up this that and the other I'm going to do it together I'm going to put it together I'm going to make something of my own making. I mean there are so many things here that you know for in the polenta and cornbread and gnocchi chapter I've got so many of those kind of fashionable grains in my cupboard that <laughs> come January I'm going to take them all out I'm going to put them on the table and I'm going to assign them something to you know try them in a gnocchi try I mean I've tried quite a lot of them in you know what what you can mix them into uh, it's you know the the turkish halva on that continuum which is you know toasted semolina and and syrup and it's just fantastic you can use everything for yeah you know any kind of grain for that it's all there it all kind well, the, of connects the together. point is all all through this from the, the you start with um making stock and when you're making stock you're really thinking right this is a reciprocal agreement right i've got the solids and i've got the liquid and i'm going to bring them together and make something really beautiful between them And all other things on that continuum are the same. It's just sometimes we leave them in and sometimes we leave them out. And people were very good at experimenting with soup. It's one of the few things that even a cook like, you know, a Stepford cook like me would have perhaps had a, a little go at making my own thing. And yet there, you know, there are so many other things on the continuum that you can play with. So when I'm writing about stocks and writing about pea pod stock and butternut squash peeling stock, which is just, butternut squash peel makes an amazing stock incredible with a bit of fennel and a bit of tomato in it it's really it's terrific and the stocks that you get from cooking um you know peas and lentils and that yeah. kind of thing i just i love the idea that we think think have stock principles in your mind a little bit more when you're cooking all of those things in order to get you know lots and lots of flavor into things I mean, I just want to correct the the <laughs> statement. You, you call yourself a Stepford cook, <laughs> but here I have it on your own authority, an ex-Stepford. Oh, an ex-Stepford, because yeah, now yeah. you are yeah, free yeah. No, from I recipes yeah, forever. Yeah, if I want to be. I mean, I don't always want to be. No, I mean, it is there yeah. is a lot of comfort in following a recipe and then being able to blame someone else. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I would always blame my equipment anyway. I just, yeah, I'm not into that kind of self-flagellation. It's just if something goes wrong, it wasn't me. Yeah, no, I have. Yeah, I love that bit. Actually, I was laughing out loud, and you have a whole litany about how all <laughs> ovens are always wrong. Well, that wasn't um, me. That was um, oh, who was it? Marco Roman in Slate magazine writing about like just don't even believe this idea that your oven is set to 195 degrees. <laughs> it's just like put a temp, you know, put a uh, thermometer in it and watch the thermometer go through. It's kind of wild. Kind no, of but also. You know, the whole kind of measure, you know, having the degrees thing, you know, for centuries and centuries, we didn't have that and still we ate. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then but we now it's just like, but what temperature? What's the mm. temperature? Just put it in the oven. It'll be fine. You know, it's but hot I'll, or it's not I'll, so hot. My mother would have yeah. cooked a, um, you know, warm, hot, whatever, you know, when yeah. it was just kind of sketchy, kind yeah. of like, yeah, very hot, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And. And that's pro- that's more accurate, really. It's more useful. Yeah, the oven is working against you. You heard it here <laughs> first. Well, yeah. that idea—I think that idea of accuracy—that is very fashionable at the moment. That whole thing about like, oh well, you know, if you're cooking, you can do this and that. But if you're baking, you've got to weigh everything. Yeah. No, you don't. No, no that's no, not it's true. Not true. If you want to make a cake like a cake like yours, then you have to make it like you do. That's yeah. Yeah, that's a given. It might not taste. It probably won't turn out like it, like you made it, or it wouldn't if I made it. But if you want to make a cake and use 125 grams rather than 100 grams on something in a normal size cake, that's probably not gonna. You know, it's not gonna be the it's end of the world. Ruin, yeah. Well, I think this is the whole the whole thing about this book is that it gives gives the confidence back to to the cook, mm, which actually. which is you know as opposed to. You know, I need to take this much butter. I need to use this exact temperature, and it's not like this. It's not. It doesn't matter really, as long as you know vaguely what you're aiming for and vaguely what you have in the house, mm. and vaguely how your oven works. What just like, what should a custard be like before I take it out of the oven? Yeah. What should a flourless chocolate cake be like before I take it out of the oven? And what should a, you know? It's much more important to get your hands into that hot oven and copper feel than to kind of follow what the book says, isn't yeah. it? It's what it, it's what it looks like, it's what it feels like. And I think if 
all you're doing is um, being told that you must must be at 195, 195.7 degrees, and it must be this, and you must weigh everything, and it must all. Then, um, then people will lose confidence. Yeah. This is a project that would make the flavor of the Saurus seems like you know, and really an afternoon. Yeah, I it's didn't know that at the time. I really? really? No, I had no idea it was going to take as long as it did. Or, I mean, because I was halfway through it when I came to that point where I was doing the when I was doing the how am I going to arrange this and the continuums and it was at that point that when I had this idea that I wanted things to run into each other I realized that for that to be really great to be really useful and really interesting to me in my spotty way that as far as possible the quantities some of the quantities had to be constant and so for bread, all the flour quantities would have to be 250 grams or 500 grams. So that you could see that any time that something changed, you had an idea of what that change was doing to the finished product. So with all the, cust- all the custards of 500 milliliters of milk and cream, so that you can see, well, if you just use yolks and cream, then you're going to make a creme brulee. But if you use milk and whole eggs, you're going to make a creme caramel. And if you've eaten those two things side by side, you know what those ingredients are now doing because you, the rest is constant. Um, the sugar is constant, you know, the caramel, well, that's, you know, that's a little sideshow. But then you learn something because, because, the, because things are kept constant. But also, hopefully, I have this desire in my head to help people learn to cook without using recipes, to learn kind of an easy way to log, or, or not to use, not use recipes, but to log them in their... In their yeah, yeah I, wonder why, I wonder why some people don't like it. Yeah, there's... there's three cookbook writers here that are gonna yeah yeah but they were you but you know of course it's not gonna be like that getting us out of business no but it it, it is in a way the cookbook to end all cookbooks because it's very easy to 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 play it's very easy to adapt it's very easy to yeah i think it is but then it doesn't cover you know you've got all the all the people that write those amazing books about um you know korean food or anything good that's coming along that's about vegan yeah you can adapt loads of things but we're always going to be interested in the you know people who go and do either fan- fabulous cooking and share their recipes or go and um, do proper research into authentic cuisines maybe we could get rid of the bad books and we could just keep all the good ones <laughs> <laughs> I want to read I want to tell the people here what are the continuums and then I want to ask you a little bit about them so we have the bread continuum which covers you know b- from flat bread to very enriched doughs mm-hmm. The cornbread polenta and gnocchi, which covers... And, uh, Everything you stir that comes off the yeah. side of the pan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, <laughs> what we call roux. Yeah. Uh, there's batter, which is actually a, a favorite of mine, batter and, and the roux chapters. Uh, stock soup and sou, that, that continuum. The nuts, which you're going to taste tonight. Uh, from cakes to biscuits, which is very interesting, from angel cake to flapjacks, mm-hmm. which is just kind of... The, the eggs go down, 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 down until there's no eggs at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Chocolate, which is kind of an ingredient that is a technique, I think. I mean, they're just all so related, those yeah. chocolate things. So it starts with, um, well, it's two, there are two ganaches, and so it's a very diluted ganache, a, a richer ganache for truffles and tart fillings. And then um, chocolate mousse, which is sort of an aerated ganache into a certain degree. And then uh, chocolate fridge cake, which I had no idea was really just a mousse with lots of butter in it. Yeah. Uh, but now that makes a lot of sense to me. And it also um, makes me feel much better about the fact that I just love it and I include it in the book because it's a bit now. <laughs> but, you know, I, actually, I was really, really didn't know whether to include chocolate fridge cake because it is, it is naff. And Nigel Slater said it's had its day. So I thought, oh, God, if Nigel Slater thinks that, then I really oh. shouldn't include it in my book. But... I made I'm it always on and the it side disappeared. Of cakes yeah, as well. I made it and people every time I made it and tried it with something else, it just disappears. It evaporates. It's so good, and so you know you put it in you know slightly more grown up versions and stuff. But I mean, I would still go for the kids version myself. But so I thought, hell, I'll, I'll include it, and then it kind of does go into flourless chocolate cake which it has, you know, has a fairly good relationship to. But also flourless chocolate cake branches off to, you know, brownies, which is just flourless chocolate cake with a bit of flour in it. And then the <laughs> sugar, which is a lot about syrups yeah. and uh, things like that, custard, which is, again, very 
you know, co- custard covers so much of, mm. you know, of cooking, you know, sweet and savory that y- you don't think about. And you only need to know two things yeah. to make any kind of custard, don't you? You need to know one egg sets about 250 ml of liquid or milk and, uh, and that you mustn't make it hot. Don't ever cook it too hot unless you put flour in it. So that's two things. And then really you can just improvise from there. Yeah, uh, how thick or how thin you want it, or if you want to freeze it and make ice cream, or if you want, you know, to cook it in the oven or cook it on the stove. But you can learn when you're just learning those little tiny things as an adjunct to a recipe. But if you if you've got a core of understanding, and then it's just sort of tweaks that you have to know in order to go off in your own direction. It's very freeing, I find. The other chapters are sauce and pastry. Which one was the curveball? Which one? No contest sugar. Really? There are times I thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. It was, you know, particularly if I was writing it, um, I think I wrote three drafts. So I'm coming around to do these things again and do loads and loads of recipe testing. And once I'd done the, once I'd had the thought that all the numbers needed to tally up, then I had to go back and rewrite a lot of the recipes and retest everything and put them all back into that kind of, into the, uh, in, in tune with all the other numbers, which is hell. Uh, and the the worst thing was sugar, and particularly sugar if it's it's all warm in the kitchen, as you know, it's just horrific. And I just just the crystallization and the uh, you know the fact that things go wrong so often. So uh, making caramels, which I got very good at, and uh, eventually fudge and meringues. I, I think partly because I don't really love eating. I don't love eating a whole batch of that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, if someone else is making it and they give me two or three, I really, really love it. But if you, the, the difference between recipe book testing and cooking is quite vast, isn't it? You, you have loads of this stuff around. Yeah. Uh, I have neighbours who would run <laughs> if they saw me because they, like, if it was particularly, if it's like, I've got some peanut brittle. They're like, I don't want your peanut brittle. No. <laughs> Uh, she thought she's coming with Yeah, again. yeah, she's coming. <laughs> <laughs> don't Switch off the lights. Don't, no, don't tell her it smells nice. That's like, they used to go, oh, wow, it smells so nice in the hall. And then it, it kind of started to ebb away. Yeah. And then they started to ebb away. And oh, wait, no way. I'm going to, there's no way I'm getting, uh, I'm letting this woman go without uh, telling me about this lemon ice cream. Okay, the lemon ice cream. The lemon ice cream, I read the recipe. I could not believe, I'm going to try it, actually. Okay. I, I just read it last night. Yeah. You think I would include it in my book if it didn't work? No, but <laughs> I cannot, my head does not compute. Do you know, the, the, uh, sadly, I don't know either. Do we have a scientist in the house? So, yeah. explain, explain about the recipe. I'd have to read it, I can't remember. But, um, yeah, so it, I, find it, find it. but you'll find... Um, you will find recipes for this in lots of different places. Let me find it. I found it in um, uh, a book by John Thorne. Do you know him? He's an American writer. He's kind of like a blue-collar uh, dude who writes really, really fantastically about food. He's never really quite crossed over here. Do you know him? No, I don't know any blue-collar uh, cookery uh, Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think it's all... It's he's a, a, a it rare, just rare falls thing. under the white collar category for me, but yeah. Well, he's he's really great, and I got it from one of his books. What you do is you stir lemon juice and grated zest of un unwaxed lemon with seventy grams of sugar until the sugar dissolves. Stir in one hundred and eighty ml of single cream. Put it in a mixture so it, put it in a container so it's about two to three centimeters deep, and put it in the freezer. That's it. Three to four hours later, it should be ready. The ice cream will need five to ten minutes at room temperature to soften. Wow. How, how does it work? <laughs> no? I was just mind blown. It's amazing. It's so delicious. I mean, actually, I remember being in Chapel Market, which is near where I live, um, buying lemons the next day and saying to this woman, like, who was not at all interested, <laughs> I made this amazing lemon ice cream yesterday and all you do is stir sugar and lemon into cream. It's and it's so. I mean, I think you know. Obviously, you want a really nice lemon, if possible, but you don't kind of know until. Uh, and does it come out like it? creamy and moussey, like ice cream? Uh well, not really fluffy, but it's not. But nor is it kind of that compacted kind of icy bleh, that people who are really into like dairy-free food sometimes try and sell you their ice cream. <laughs> like they're yeah. like, "This is really nice. It's just like ice cream." No. Nah. Is it though? No, nah, yeah. it's not though, is it? It's the no churning that, yeah. that magics me because 
Uh, so I'm I've always, you know, always my heart is drawn to, to no churn ice creams. But this is a new level of no churn. If you don't know already, you will fall in love with, with Nikki's writing, I'm sure. He need to. Do it, do it, do it. Okay, so this is um, this is in the marzipan section, and it's it's uh, the piece is under uh, poire. <clears throat> For one reason or another, I was alone in Paris. From my hotel, which was handily close to the local recycling centre, I might have just been able to make out the Eiffel Tower on the horizon if it hadn't been for the vast extractor fan outside my window. It was so depressing, I wanted to lie on the bed and watch Asia Business Report while chewing inattentively on a club sandwich served with a trio of cocktail onions and six stale crisps. Nonetheless, I roused myself, taking to the streets with only a pound-shot telescopic umbrella between my grey suede shoes and the glowering sky. I walked until I found myself in a courtier that I vaguely recognised, where I came across a restaurant so bustling and cosy and stereotypically Parisian, it might have featured in a late-period Woody Allen movie. The waiter showed me to a bijou table with a view of the street. I ordered steak frites and a carafe of ordinary red Bordeaux. When I was in my 20s, I ate alone in restaurants all the time. Here in a city where solo dining carries less social stigma, I was reminded of the feeling of independence it gives. Perhaps because, by lending purpose and structure of a meal to time spent alone, it frees you from the obligation of missing human company. All too soon, my plate of nougat glacé was reduced to streaks of white like Mono's snow at Giverny. The waiter suggested a digestive. I said yes, and not only because I was so reluctant to leave the snug interior with its spill of golden light on dark wood, the locomotive hiss of the coffee machine and the break-up post-affair recriminations playing out in a dumb show at the bar. It was because I was expected not to hurry. I ordered a poire, the highly potent eau de vie that tastes like a white jelly baby caught in the beam of a winter sunlight through a clear cathedral window. It arrived in what looked like a test tube. And laid on a bed of crushed ice, it had a brandy balloon standing stoutly in wait. Its very logic demanded I take my time. The rain lifted and the usual Parisian zoetrope of lovers, old ladies and tiny clockwork dogs returned to the boulevard. On my walk back to the hotel, I stopped in at supermarket and hoping to prolong the feeling bought a bottle of Poire William so I could enjoy a second glass before bed. No sooner had I walked into the lobby than the dream evaporated and the bottle remained unopened until months later in London I wanted to make marzipan with a traditional edition of Kirsch but found that I didn't have any. Out came the Poire. I fitted the marzipan into a small tin poured over the same depth of poire-infused dark chocolate, dark chocolate ganache and left it to set, then sliced it into small rectangles with every intention of dipping them into tempered chocolate. I never quite got round to it. The combination of creamy dark ganache, almond and pear is superb and recalls a belle Helene, albeit after Helene had hit the bottle. Maybe she'd been in Paris to sell. <laughs> Please, guys, a big, big hand to this wonderful lady. Thanks so much for listening to our latest episode. If you'd like to join one of the next talks, please follow us on social media at Honey & Co. or go on our website, honeyandco.co.uk. We would really appreciate if you took some time and rated us at iTunes. Only five stars, please. With a huge thanks to Hester Kant for producing. And the music is by the lovely Alice Russell. Thanks for listening. Bye, Felicia's. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.